Hey everybody, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Uh, Christmas comes every year, and it's my favorite time of the year. Um, our family, we have a family tradition and uh, where we have our annual Christmas movie binge at our house. It always starts the day after Thanksgiving, and uh, true to form, it happened again this year. It's continuing to go on, and uh, the other day, Isaac, our son, uh, he looked really tired to me throughout the day, and I said, Isaac, you look you look so tired. What's going on? And he said, well, he said, I couldn't sleep last night, and so I watched three Hallmark Christmas movies all in a row. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, that's taking it to a whole other level, Isaac. But uh, Christmas is our favorite time of the year, and one of my favorite Christmases of all time was uh, 2003. Uh, I had two weeks off, which was really rare, and we were planning to surprise our sons. Isaac was 13 at the time, Samuel was 15, and we were going to take him to Disneyland. And so at about 3 a.m. in the morning, when they were fast asleep, Tracy and I packed up all their clothes and then I carried each of the sons out one at a time, uh, out of, you know, scooped them up out of the bed, carried them out to the SUV. Miraculously, they never woke up. It may have had something to do with the Benadryl we put in their eggnog the night before. <laughs> Listen, if you're a parent, Benadryl is your friend. Don't, don't miss those opportunities. And, um, but uh, when the sun started to rise and shine through the car window of the SUV, they found themselves awake on Interstate 5, and we were headed to Disneyland, and they were so excited. But that's all we had planned for the two weeks. We just wanted to go down to Disneyland, stay at some friends' houses uh, down there in the Newberry Park area. And so the next day, after, after we'd done the Disneyland thing, uh, we were getting ready to head home on 101 North, and we're headed out of town back, back home. And uh, Samuel says, wouldn't it be fun to see Hollywood before we go home? And we go, sure, why not? So we turned around, do a, you do a U-turn, we go down to Hollywood, we're driving around Hollywood, and we're having a really great time. And then Tracy goes, hey, wouldn't it be fun to go down to San Diego and see some of our friends down there? And I said, yeah, let's do that. So then we go down to San Diego, and we spend a couple days. We're having a great time. So now we're driving home, and we come over the grapevine, and, and as we, we're talking about how much fun we're having and, and what a great adventure it's been, and no one wanted it to end. And, and then someone said, probably me, hey, wouldn't it be fun to go to Monterey? And we go, yeah, let's go to Monterey. And so then we decided to go to Monterey, and we ended up bringing in the New Year, uh, New Year's Eve there in Monterey, except for Disneyland. The Laws Family Christmas Vacation was completely unplanned, completely unexpected, and spontaneous, and it was one of our best. And I think that I think most people like great adventures. You know, automakers know this, and that's why they name our vehicles really exciting names like Explorer and Hummer, Pathfinder, Land Rover, Pinto. Just kidding on the Pinto. Um, maybe that's why there aren't any more Pintos. But that was one of our great Christmases for our family. But what happens when your family Christmas doesn't go as planned, when it's, when it's not an adventure? I think in so many ways that Christmas brings us all face-to-face with who our family is and who we're not. Do you know what I mean? It's just kind of a self-assessing time in families. We all have that family member that's just a little bit challenging in our extended family? Ask the person next to you, are you that family member? Right? You know, the, the one that always says something inappropriate or ruins a surprise for everybody or arrives so late and everybody has to wait for them or forgets to bring a gift or overstays their welcome. 
And uh, some family members, they make us laugh, some make us cry, some just make us plain mad. And sometimes our family circumstances are our greatest source of discouragement during the most wonderful time of the year. And one of my favorite lines from the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, is near the beginning, Clarence, the second-class angel, uh, has, is about to get his assignment and to go out, and he's going to help this guy that's in trouble. And the superior says, you've got to help George Bailey. And Clarence says, what is it? Is he sick? No, it's worse than that. He's discouraged. Discouragement is one of the worst kinds of sickness, and it eventually gets everyone. Discouragement is a lack of hope. Christmas is when we celebrate the very birth of hope, and it's a time that should be filled with hope, hope for your life, hope for your future, and hope for all of humanity. And yet every single one of us all face scenarios or situations or circumstances that can be discouraging when we feel displaced from our family in different ways or we feel out of sync or out of touch. Discouragement wants to come in and fill those empty places in our minds and in our hearts. And it's my prayer for all of you that as we look at the Christmas story this morning that you see the hope and that you would feel it so strongly that it would be greater than anything else that would seek to rob you of your hope this Christmas. And so I want to pray for us. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. We thank you for the great hope that we have in your son. And I just pray that today that, that you would speak to all of our lives and hearts. We all come from such different families, such different backgrounds and circumstances. But Lord, we all have in common our need for you. And we all have in common what it means to fight discouragement and hopelessness in our lives and despair even during the most wonderful time of the year. And so I just pray that you'd lift our hearts, fill our hearts with joy, and that you'd speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. The Christmas story is so amazing on so many levels because it's one of the most hopeful parts of God's bigger story. You see, the Christmas story isn't just about what happens at Christmas. It's one of the key moments for sure, with, but it's within the greater story of God. The big picture is is that God created us, He loved us, He gave us the free will to choose in the garden to love ourselves, and we chose to learn to love, but to love in the hard way, by loving ourselves or things that would never return love in the way that we desperately so need it the most. And so sin enters the world, and, it, and we begin to experience its impact immediately. It's how we explain all of the bad in the world. If you don't believe in sin, you're going to have to figure out some way to explain all of the bad that's in the world. And there's a lot right now that is not right these days, and we're aware of that. But God has this plan, and it's in this plan and in this un un unending, unconditional, incomparable love for us that we find our hope this Christmas. It's through the birth of Jesus, God has introduced himself to the world, and the world filled filled itself with many gods and many ideas and many confusing religions. Beginning with creation to the birth of Jesus and all the way to the end of the book, the Bible records a systematic, intentional, and progressive revelation of who God really is to the world. And the picture of God at the, at the beginning of the Bible, frankly, is terrifying in so many ways, if you read it. 
And God gave society uh, these laws and these commandments, and it was really intense to teach them that they were powerless to save themselves, that, that no one was really that good at the end of the day, that there's no one that, that, that's perfect. Just, just look down the row. You can see that. Um, healthy, home, <laughs> healthy homes aren't perfect ones. Let that sink in. There's no faster way to be discouraged than to expect perfection in your own family this Christmas or to expect perfection in another human being. No one is perfect. And life, like relationships, is a journey that's an unfolding story that doesn't always go as planned. And for some, the holidays confronts us with this reality that that our lives are not all that they could be. And so the first half of the Bible alone is just full of stories about families like yours and mine that are far from perfect, including some really bad stuff and some really weird stuff that went on in their families. And if you're not familiar with these, um, here's just some of the families in the Bible, just to kind of encourage us a little bit. You, You might feel a little bit better about your own family this holiday season. The first family got off to a really bad start. God's first two kids, God's the parent. Parents, grace to you. God's first two kids, Adam and Eve, they disobey him and they get kicked out of the garden. That's a strain on your relationship. The first two brothers, Cain kills his brother Abel. Noah, after a really long boat ride, finally reaches dry land. First thing he does is he gets drunk, takes off his clothes, and did some really weird stuff. I'll let you read it. Lot, when his home is surrounded by residents from Sodom, who want to violate his house guests. Instead, he offers his own daughter. What? Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Maybe my family's not so bad after all, right? Another Bible character, Isaac, he plays favorites between his two sons, Jacob and Esau. They become then bitter enemies because of what dad has done. For 20 years, they become bitter enemies Jacob doesn't learn anything about what happened with his own relationship with his dad and his brother, and then he plays favorites with one of his sons, Joseph. So now all the other siblings hate him, and they want to kill him. In fact, three whole generations of families showed favorites, and their kids and their family members were all divided because of favoritism in their own family. Can anybody relate to pain in your own family, whether it's favoritism or whatever it is? It's just the sense that, wow, that's not really right. And there's more. There's more. Here's another family. Abraham and his wife couldn't have children. And so he has a child with his wife's servant at his wife's request. And then he sends the servant and the son off into the desert at his wife's request. Imagine the therapy that the boy needs now as an adult, being sent off like that. Jacob marries two women. I don't know what he was thinking, right? Jacob's son, Reuben, sleeps with his father's concubine. That's awkward. And this just gets weird. The, another son of Jacob's, uh, Judah, sleeps with his own daughter-in-law. Now, he doesn't know it's her because she disguised herself as a prostitute. It's really complicated. You've got to read the story. No wonder God had to give us the Ten Commandments. We're all a mess. We're just a mess in varying degrees. Why does the Bible give us such graphic details in real-life struggles of people? Why are there so many stories about stumbling human beings throughout the Bible? Well, clearly, God isn't afraid of all of your mistakes, 
The Bible doesn't airbrush anything. No one is spinning to make everything look good. Only we as human beings try to do that. The Bible doesn't try to do that at all. God is a healthy God. He speaks the truth in love. There it is. Here's the reality. Here's the mistakes. Here's the highs. Here's the lows. Let's face it. Think of the families that you know right now that are struggling. The real life stories that that, that tell us of just how broken our humanity is in so many different ways. I used to do ride-along with police officers, and we would come to different families and family dynamics and conflicts and situations that were just absolutely heart-wrenching in some of the most wonderful neighborhoods on the outside, on the inside of the home, the way they would treat their children, the way they would treat each other, absolutely horrifying. Which brings us now to the Christmas story, a story where the greatest human need is met. Someone greater than ourselves comes to save us from ourselves and from the madness of our world. And yet Christmas is a time when our hope can meet some of the greatest opposition in our lives. What's opposing your hope this Christmas? Some may not be able to buy the gifts for their family that maybe they wish they could, or as a parent, it makes you feel like uh, that you're not able to provide in the way that you should, or maybe you're grieving over the memory of a loved one who can't be with you, one lost too soon. And then there's divorce in many families, reminding you every year that your family is, is divided, that they'll never be the same again. Or maybe you're just surprised to learn that the Christmas story has it all as well. So let's consider together what we can learn that might help us make the rest of this holiday season as wonderful as it can be, as it is meant to be. You see, from the outside of this story, this story doesn't seem so wonderful. It begins with a virgin finding out that she's pregnant and her fiancé, Joseph, knowing he's not the father. That's rough. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, it begins with, it says, because Joseph, her husband, was, not, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her, Mary, to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph's mind is made up quickly. I'm going to divorce her. She's pregnant, and it's not my child. Imagine this. Jesus' parents almost divorce over him before he's ever born. Joseph's life did not seem very wonderful in this moment. His engagement wasn't going as planned. It was a rocky start when the girl that you're engaged to becomes pregnant before your wedding day and has some absurd story about an angel appearing to her. Like, really? And then, you know, this is not the family picture that, you know, of that snowy scene on a Hallmark card that you send out to all your family. I mean, this is just a rough start. The Christmas story begins, think of this, with a pending divorce. Two-thirds of our humanity can relate to what? Divorce. And God says, leave it in there. Leave it in. Print it all for everyone to read, for every man or woman or child who has ever felt rejection by another through the pain of divorce. To know what it is to love someone and immediately be abandoned by them for all the wrong reasons. If this were a Christmas movie, the director would be yelling, cut, cut, we need to rewrite this part. This is way intense, way too fast. Where's the feel-good family in all of this? 
Where's the perfect engagement? You know, the perfect wedding day. We're talking about God coming for the first time to humanity. This needs to be a really cool, exciting thing. What do you do when your life doesn't go as planned? Mary, Mary has a lot to go through. She's told nothing more than, don't be afraid, God is in this. In this, a virgin birth, are you kidding me? If the greatest gift of all seemed to be ruining Mary and Joseph's lives, what tragedy in my own life might actually be a unique and wonderful gift? Every plan, every hope, and every dream that Mary had as a new bride was dashed. It was torn apart just in moments. That last slow dance at the senior prom when she looked into Joe's eyes, those big brown eyes, they had dreamed together about their future. Mary might have said during the slow dance time, we may never own our own home, we're poor, it's okay, we can find a nice cozy place to rent. I'll decorate it. I'll make it nice. Joe, you're good with your hands. You know, we can just get a fixer-upper and we'll find a place and we'll call it home and you can learn the craft that your, that your father and your grandfather passed down, that noble trait of being a carpenter. It's going to be great. One day, and Joe, one day, one day, one day we'll have kids together. And at that moment, every hope and every dream of our life, you have to understand the culture, as difficult as it is in our culture for this moment. In that culture, in every way, she was shamed in that moment. And all Mary hears is, don't be afraid and it's going to be okay. And she must have woke up the next day going, did I really see an angel? Was that real? Am I pregnant? This Christmas, some families are hearing, it's not perfect, it's not ideal, but it's going to be okay. It can be hard to think of life being wonderful at times like this. You know, the dining room chair around Christmas, the one that it's empty this year. They're not with us, they're gone doesn't feel okay. Or cancer's there, looming while the grandkids are opening the gifts. They don't know. The adults know. The job didn't come through. The escrow on the house, it didn't close. Any number of things. And Mary ponders the meaning of this new announcement in her heart, this new news that she just received. Think of it, God has been silent for 400 years. You think you haven't heard God in a while? God had been silent for 400 years. The word advent means expectation. They're they're all waiting with expectation for the Messiah. They don't know how he's going to come or when he's going to come, but they're waiting with expectation. And now after all of these years, the announcement is going to be made of the birth of of Jesus, not as a ruler, not as a king, not as a warrior, but he's going to actually come as a baby, and this announcement is getting ready to be made. Has God seemingly been silent in your life? Maybe he's ready to make an announcement. 
It could be today. It could be tomorrow. You may not see it coming, but are you ready to hear the announcement? What happens next? Well, the announcement comes. King Herod hears the story from the Magi, the wise men who were traveling from the east to find and pay homage to the king of the Jews. And Herod thinks, whoa, wait a minute here. I'm the only king around here. So he tells the wise men, once you find the baby, the next king, come back and tell me where he is. But they don't. They go home a different route. So Herod decides, okay, all I have to do is kill every child under the age of two. That should cover it. I need to make sure that no child grows up around here and takes my throne as king. But Herod and others today still panic at the thought of God becoming king on earth. Because Jesus is no mere infant. At least he didn't stay one. Eventually, he would grow up and he would make these outrageous claims to be king, the savior of the world. The child born in a manger claims to be God. For some, this is your announcement. God is not silent to you in this moment. God is real and he's speaking to your heart. This is your announcement. This is what you've been waiting for. And it's your time. The Christmas story is the story of how God became king and how he wants to become your savior in this moment. It's the beginning of his earthly campaign to establish a new kingdom and one day a new heaven and earth. I don't know about you, but I am ready for a new heaven and a new earth. And some supported his announcement and others opposed it. When God becomes king of your life, how will people respond around you? How will your friends respond? Do you remember what it was like when you decided to follow Jesus? You know, some of you may have been raised in Christian homes, but others, you remember what it was like to be the only one. Maybe you're still the only one in your family, and you've decided to follow Jesus, and it's lonely. Or maybe you're the only one in your group of friends. Or maybe you're here today and you're thinking, if I make this decision, things will be different from this day forward. Remember when you started to find that deeper fulfillment, that truer happiness in the things that you wanted to live for. And you lost that appetite for certain other things. Some jokes just don't seem funny anymore. You still enjoyed a party, but the parties weren't about escaping anymore as much as taking in the moment and being with the people that you really love and care for. It's a wonderful life when you begin to see your purpose through the eyes of eternity, when you begin to see Christmas through the eyes of eternity. As the story continues, we come to the birth. Father God, the creator, is sending his only son. Jesus is being born. And who gets invited? Think about this moment. God is now going to come onto planet earth after all of these years of progressively showing and revealing who people are, what's in their hearts, and who he is. But now he wants to show us, he wants to reveal the true likeness, the exact representation of who God is. And he's now going to invite to the birth of his son certain people. Who are you going to invite? Well, if it's God, man, you got to invite the, the royalty. 
the king and queen. You've got to invite uh, celebrities. You, you want to invite renowned business leaders all over the world. No, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. This is God. Let's invite the most famous religious figures, the, you know, the ones that have the most podcasts or whatever, or that have written the most books, or, or whoever you think is like maybe the most spiritual people. Wouldn't you invite like the top 10 most spiritual people in the world to the birth of God on planet Earth? I mean, that just makes sense. But God, God does just the opposite. He invites some shepherds, and you need to understand, we have a very different image of a shepherd. I, my great-great-grandfather Reynolds was a shepherd in Montana, and he shepherded sheep. That's very different than these shepherds in the Bible. You've got to understand how unbelievably radical this moment was. In that day and time, this would be con- considered completely inappropriate. You talk about going to church and hearing me say something inappropriate or somebody around you doing something inappropriate, God himself invites shepherds who are at the bottom of the barrel of society. They're known as the most immoral people in the village, in the area. They are known for their poor character. They are people who are basically seen as going nowhere in life. And did you know that in Jesus' day, a shepherd was so distrusted that they were not even allowed to testify in a court of law. Their word about whatever happened meant nothing. No one believed in them. No human being believed in them. They were the outcasts of society. They were Raider fans. You understand what I'm saying? (laughs) They were shepherds out in a field. They didn't even have a home. They, they slept with sheep, they walked with sheep, they smelled like sheep, they stepped in sheep, right? There was nothing special about the shepherds. And when it came time for Christmas, time for the Son of God to be born, time for the God of creation to reveal himself in human flesh, a group of shepherds are told first. They're made to be the insiders, the lowest of the lows. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope this Christmas. You may be way better than I am. You may be like super spiritual and you can walk on water and do miracles and you hear from God every moment of every day. For me, it's all hit and miss. And every time I've walked on water, I've just about drowned. This just gives me hope. God's arriving in the birth of Jesus, and Father God invites the most unworthy in the world at that time first. Which brings us to what it means to have a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life when you're worthy enough to be invited to Christ's birth. And that's what you are. Every one of you. And we come from all different kinds of really messed up families. And yet God loves us all. Up until the time of Jesus' birth, the idea of of being in the presence of God in the Old Testament was completely terrifying. What do you think? Why do you think God showed up as Jesus Christ as a baby? We've got a lot of babies around here. It's wonderful. 
When they get about three years of age or four, have you noticed that it's not easy to pick them up and hold them? They're squirming and they want to run off and do stuff. But newborn babies, newborn babies, it's completely different. You actually go to them. You're way big. They're way small. They're way fragile. You're way strong. And you go over to them, and when you pick them up, they're, they're easy for you to grab a hold of. And when you pick them up, they're completely with you. They are completely with you. God came in a way that he could be completely with you. Emmanuel, God with us. Not judging us, not out there somewhere, not with crossed arms, God with us. He says, I'm with you. And one of the greatest things of Christmas is that it reminds us all that the God that we worship year-round was once a child like those we see in our own families and extended families. Isn't it crazy to think that God took the form of a baby? Of all the ways, I mean, think about this. You're God. You could have written a different story. You could have come in any way that you wanted to. And you chose to come as a baby. That says so much about who he is, what he wanted to say to us. When our sons were born, Tracy and I made, made room for them. That's one of the great things about having, the, particularly the first child, you make room. You do that first nursery, and it's, it's so cool, and it, it is so expensive. <laughs> Will you make room? I know you're busy. I know you have a job. You have a career, maybe a spouse. Maybe you have kids. You live here. You're in the Bay Area. But will you make room for Jesus this Christmas? That's a whole other thing. Well, I, I think I believe in God. I know there's a God out there. But, but will you make room? Will you receive the announcement that's coming to you? John 1, verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, to join a new family, not one of physical birth, not of all of our messed up families out there, but one of spiritual birth, to be born into the family of God, that regardless of whatever your natural family has been to you, whether they've been great or a disappointment or anything else, when you come to Jesus, you start anew with a new family like no other family, a spiritual family, brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and grandparents. You're invited into this beautiful community of relationships. And I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a few moments to receive the announcement, to make the most meaningful decision of your life, to make room for Jesus in your heart, and to become a follower of Jesus, and this is a sacred moment for you. But before I do, I want to say a few things. Christmas is the perfect time of year to receive grace and to give grace, to receive forgiveness and to give forgiveness. It's a perfect time to include others and to invite others to be with you. When someone draws a circle and they leave you out of their life, Draw a bigger circle that includes them and bring them back into your life. If God is willing to give so much to be with us 
Let's be there with one another. Grace isn't, you know, something we get when we fail, just something we get when we fail. It's something we become over time towards others. We become gracious to others. And I know, I know how it is. We all get so familiar with our own family. You know, we are, we, we're physically with them, but we're not really with them. Kids, take some time to be with your grandparents. Be with them. You know, show them how to use their smartphone or their iPad, you know. When your mom or dad starts talking to you, whether it's on the phone or however you're going to talk to them this Christmas, and you already know what they're going to say, would you listen anyway? Be with them. Let go of all the small stuff. Don't correct them. Be with one another. God's gift at Christmas was to make a way that we could be with him and he with us. He gave us his presence so that we could be a present of our lives to other people. And so I'm going to pray, and we're going to pray right now. And I'm going to pray a prayer that I prayed many years ago when I chose to follow Jesus. I've been following him for 46 years, and I've had not one regret in doing that. He's completely trustworthy. It's a simple prayer, and uh, what I'd like to do, I'd like to do something a little bit different because I want us to experience this moment together. And I'd like to ask you to bow your heads, and I'm going to pray a prayer out loud, and I'd like for you in unison to repeat the prayer, and I'd like for you to do it with strength. I'd like for you to be fully present in this moment. And just so you know, this is a prayer where you can receive the announcement for yourself. And you can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so let's together repeat this prayer out loud in unison. Ready, set, go. Dear God, God, thank you for sending your Son as the Savior of the world. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe in your death and resurrection. I choose to follow you as my Lord, as my King, as my Savior. Amen. Amen. God bless you.